All right. Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church. I'm glad you guys are here. Getting a little bit of a late start this morning, which is totally fine. I have just uh, two announcements for you. Uh, one is we have an opportunity to do something with Christian education that's kind of, uh, we, we need as a congregation to decide what we want to do there. I'm, gonna, I'm just kind of putting it in your ear to be back here next week where I'm going to give you more information on that. Then we're going to have somebody else, the person who's actually in charge of it, coming here in a few weeks to give us more details. But if you're at the Zoom Bible study today, I'll share a little bit about it there. But uh, be here back, back here next week for an announcement about a possible opportunity to partner with Christian education, Lutheran education. That's my first announcement. My second announcement is not my announcement. It's a youth group announcement. And we have Stacy and Kate here today to talk about a really, really cool ministry opportunity. So ladies, if you want to come forward. Okay. I have my box helper here. And Miss Kate, today is the day we're starting the shoebox, Operation Christmas Child Ministry. They're all out back. You can grab one on your way out the door. Grab a bunch. We have 150 that we would like to fill. So we're going to talk to you a little bit this morning about what this is. If you are unable to pick up a box here at church or would prefer to give online, visit www.samaritanspurse.org. National Collection Week is November 16th through 23rd, so bring your boxes back by Sunday, November 15th. How to pack a shoebox. Find a shoebox. Start with an average-sized cardboard or plastic shoebox. If you want to wrap it, cover the box and lid separately. It can be any shoebox. Throw that out there. Decide whether you will pack for a girl or a boy in the age category, like 2 to 4, 5 to 9, or 10 to 14. Fill with gifts. Select a medium to large wow item, such as a soccer ball with pump or stuffed animal. Then fill with other fun toys, hygiene items, and school supplies. Most importantly, pray for the child who will receive your gift. You can also include a personal note and a photo. If you would like, you can also purchase. Follow your box labels. You can donate $9 online and receive a label to follow your box and discover the destination of your shoebox gift. Um, also, save the date. Youth group, this is junior high and senior high. So if you are 6th grade through 12th grade, we are having a bonfire on Friday night, October 30th. It will be out in Bethalto. More details to come. Check out our youth group Facebook page for those details, and it will be in the bulletin next week. You ladies. If I can, uh, I would highly recommend you, after communion, going downstairs and watching the video. It's a really cool video. In the 745 service, uh, we, did have, we, we did have the ability to play. We didn't want to do it during the live stream, but we did show the video up on the wall, and somebody who was in the service like just blurted out at the end of the video, I want to do that, like real loud. So it's a, it's a really powerful video, and you'd be super encouraged to be involved in that ministry. Okay, if you guys will stand and we will begin uh, worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us confess our sin to God. O Lord, merciful Father, you keep covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. We confess that we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We have not heeded your law, nor have we rejoiced in your gospel. We confess that things have fallen apart. But Lord, you keep covenant even when we do not. Your love is steadfast when ours is frail and fallible. You are faithful even when we are faithless. We want you to be our God, and we want to be your covenant people. 
Grant us the gift of faith. By your Holy Spirit, work in us steadfastness and singleness of heart that we might manifest your love in the keeping of your commandments and the living of your gospel. O Lord, merciful Father, hear our prayers in the name of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new and eternal covenant, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Amen. The psalm is from um, a selection from Psalm 121. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Got an Acts reading here from Acts chapter 20. Paul is traveling to Rome and he's stopping off at, he wants to, he wants to stop off at Ephesus where he has planted a church. But Ephesus is a little bit inland. He stops off, his ship stops off at Miletus, which is a coastal city. And so to save time, and he doesn't want to stray too far from the ship uh, while it, re, you know, it uh, loads up new passengers and goods, he sends for the church in Ephesus to come see him. So uh, verse 17, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from 1 Timothy 3. Paul says, again, Paul, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Show. 
Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, you can see there, um, it says sermon in the bulletin, if you're looking at the bulletin online at home, and there's a list of scripture texts after that. We're not going to read all those, but I'm going to refer to them during the sermon, some of which we've already looked at. This is, I just a heads up, this is more of a Bible study, actually, than a sermon. And I debated with the wisdom of doing kind of a Bible study in here. Uh, and I just decided this is the kind of thing that I, I need to, I, I want to get this information from God's word to you in as concise and clean a way as possible. And so that's what we're going to do today. The first service, it's hard to resist the urge to say, does anybody have any questions with the kind of Bible study format that I'm going to do? I guess if you feel like blurting something out, you're more than welcome. But just so you know, we're going to be looking at this, uh, this topic as in-depth as we can in the few minutes that we have. If you haven't, been, if you haven't heard the sermons prior to this one, I would suggest that you go back and listen to them because they all kind of build on each other. So the principles we've been talking about, principles of biblical church government, are based upon the fact that God is the king of the universe. God is the one with all the authority. We don't have, the, we don't have any of the authority. The gospel reading just here, the disciples have authority, but only, only because Jesus gives them the authority to cast out demons and to heal diseases. It's God's authority. He exercises that authority, number two, through King Jesus. In the church, what does that look like? It, it means Jesus is the one who makes the decisions in church. Jesus does. Not me. I'm not the boss. I don't, it's not the pastor's job to make decisions for the church. It's not the voter's job. It's Jesus' job. Well, that's very vague and spiritual sounding. Actually, what does that look like? What it looks like is the body of Christ. This is all reviewed from the past few weeks. The body of Christ in community, living life together under the authority of the word and with the power of the Holy Spirit, doing what the body of Christ does organically. Like I, I use this example. Like you decide where you're, going to, where you're going to go to dinner with your family. Nobody says, I'm in charge here and we're going here and I don't care what you say. You probably usually don't have votes either. I mean, every once in a while maybe. But usually you just kind of all in discussion, it happens. That's, what the, that's the ideal with the church, right? So that raised a question that we discussed last week. What's the role of the pastor then in that? If the pastor's job isn't to say, here's the decisions, here's what we're going to do. What is the role of the pastor? The pastor's job is, <clears throat> I'm going to say this, I'll probably try to say this several times over the next few weeks because it's the kind of thing that I want us to know, but it's so easy for us to think back to the old way. It is not the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. Although the pastor, like all Christians, should be doing the work of the ministry. It's not the pastor's primary job to do the work of the ministry. It's the pastor's primary job to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's not my job to make decisions. It's my job to help equip the church so that we all together can make the decisions. Right? And I'm just basically paraphrasing Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, which says God gave to the church pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not God gave the church pastors teachers to do the work of the ministry, but God gave the church pastors teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's your guys' responsibility to make the decisions that, that guide St. James. Not because 
well, you know, we humans are so wise, but because God promises that Jesus is in charge of the church, not through a pastor, not through a voters assembly, but through the body of Christ, all of us working together. Okay, now that raises, that's what we talked about last week. That raises the question, which we're going to do this study on this week. Why don't pastors get mentioned more in the Bible? Only one time, Ephesians 4.11. Only time in the New Testament where the word pastor is mentioned. If pastors are so dang important, why don't they get mentioned more? And so what we're going to talk about today is they actually do get mentioned a lot, but it doesn't use the word pastor. Now, this is where it gets confusing because it's going to use a word that we're used to using one way, but the New Testament uses a completely different way. And what I want us to do is start to see it and use it here at St. James the way the, the way the New Testament uses it. All right, let me get into it this way. Uh, let me just a heads up, I'm going to give you three things, uh, uh, three points here about the, the role of pastors in the church. Um, this is different than last week, by the way. And let's get into it this way. Look, if you would with me, look at the Acts reading, Acts 20, as we just read this a second ago, Acts 20 and verse 17. Now, from Miletus, Paul sends to Ephesus and calls the elder of the ch- elders of the church to come to him. And here's my question. Why didn't Paul call the pastor of the church? That's the important person. Why did he call the elders? They're not important. They just meet once a month and maybe pray with the pastor and give some advice. Maybe they vote on something, you know. We should have VBS this year. Let's vote on it. That's what the elders do, right? Why does Paul waste his time with with these minions when he can be talking to the main man, the pastor? Well, uh, the answer is this. Let's Let's look at how Paul talks to the elders. Here's what he says. So he's talking to the elders. Look down at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Well, that's the flock language. That's pastor language, right? Remember, pastor is just a fancy word for shepherd. Pastor, pasture. Anytime you see this sort of like pastoral language being used here, sheep language, we're talking about pastor's work here. Elders, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Look at verse 21. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul's talking to elders, and he's talking to them like they should be caring for the flock. He's talking to elders like they should be pastoring. He's saying to the elders, elders, he doesn't even call the pastors. Well, that's actually not true. Do you, do you, you see where I'm going with this? He doesn't say pastors come in. He says elders, and then he talks to the elders like they're the pastors because Paul believes that the elders are pastors. That's the first point. Elders, in the New Testament, elders are pastors. Elders are pastors. Okay, let me give you, uh, let me just point out one more thing from this text, and then I'll give you more scriptural uh, background for that. Look at verse 28. Uh, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is actually the New Testament's second favorite word for the office of pastor. Only one time does it call it a pastor. That's the third favorite word. Only uses it once. The most favorite word that the New Testament has for pastor is elder. Elders, pastor the flock of God. The second most favorite word is overseer, someone who watches over. The third most favorite word is the the loner, pastor. Let me give you another example of where elders are called the pastor. 1 Peter 5, we looked at this last week. It's over in your uh, bonus uh, verses in the bulletin. And I put put, put the sections I want to read kind of in bold to help me uh, find them quicker. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. That's interesting too. Like Peter doesn't say, let me talk to the elders for a few minutes. I know you guys aren't that important. You know, you just have a meeting once a month. 
Uh, and you probably hand out bulletins and that sort of thing. But let me talk to you just for a second. He actually says, I'm an elder too. No, you're not. You're too important for that, Peter. You're an apostle. You're a pastor. No, he calls himself an elder. And here's what he says elders should do. Elders, verse 2, we talked about this last week, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He uses the verb for pastor. Elders, pastor the flock of God among you. Elders are pastors. Let me give you a few more examples here, if I can. Acts 14, uh, um, uh, look at verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, why didn't he appoint pastors in every church? It seems like that would be the most important thing to do. You call a pastor, and then you vote on elders, right? Or the pastor says, I want these three guys to be my elders. No, the first thing they do, they don't, it doesn't say appoint pastors. He says appoint elders because elders are pastors. Same thing in Titus 1. Paul's telling Titus, here's what I want you to do while you're in Crete. I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. He doesn't say appoint pastors. He says appoint elders. Why? Because elders are the main thing. The office is mainly called elders. It means pastors, but I want you to appoint pastors in every town and every church. James 5, 13 through 14. Look at verse 14, actually. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why wouldn't they call the pastor? It seems like that's the thing to do if you're sick is you would want to call the pastor. And James is saying, call the elders. Well, the elders are the pastors. This is the first thing you need to know. Elders are the pastors. Elders are pastors. There's only one office. There's not a separate. In the New Testament, there's not like you have pastors and then you have elders. It's just one office. Overseer, elder, pastor. All right. So uh, elders are pastors. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Elders are always plural. Elders are pastors. Elders are plural. Look at uh, Acts again. Uh, you should be in Acts, uh, there, Acts 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular. Every church has more than one elder, overseer, pastor. Every church has multiple elders, right? all the examples I'm going to give you, every time that elders is mentioned in the New Testament, it's always in the plural. Elders, of a, elders plural, of a singular church. Same thing in Titus 1. Appoint elders in every town. Plan, you're going to plant a church in a town. Appoint elders, plural, in every one of those. James 5, again, verse 14. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them, plural, pray over him, anointing him with oil. First uh, Peter 5, this one's less conclusive. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I exhort the plural elders among you. Right. Elders are always plural. There's never a solo. This is one of the reasons why we read the, the, the gospel reading. You know, there's only one solo shepherd in the Bible, and that's Jesus. Any other time that God's people are structured, there always has to be multiple elders, multiple pastors. Why is that? Jesus is the only one who has all the spiritual gifts. Jesus is the only one who has zero of the character flaws that make for bad leadership. I have maybe, I, told, I said this last week, I have maybe one or two things that I do well, and I have 206 things that I'm horrible at. And if I'm, if I'm the only person in charge here, if I'm the only elder, then I'm going to imprint that on you. Now, that's not, the New Testament, so here's what the New Testament is saying. Every church must have multiple pastors, overseers, elders. And now maybe some of you are thinking, okay, I see where you're headed. You are going to tell us that we need to call another pastor. And I'm going to say, no, we're not, like, we're not, 
we don't need to pay somebody else like me to do this. We're at the size now. Our ministry scope is at the place now where we only need, I think, I, I don't know from my perspective, I, I hear, I'm here quite a bit. Uh, I'm the, like, we, we only need one, one paid elder. So what are, you, what are you talking about then, Aaron? Multiple elders. Well, look at the First Thessalonians text. Or did I say First Thessalonians? I mean First Timothy. This is right. Uh, this is the last one of our text. Paul says this to Timothy. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. He's talking about, right before that, he says, you know, don't, you know, make sure you pay your leaders. Don't let the, the ox tread the corn without eating the corn or something along those lines. Let the elders among you be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Let the elders among you be worthy of double honor, especially those who are preaching and teaching. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that imply that there are some elders who aren't preaching and teaching? Some elders do, and some elders don't. They servant lead in different ways than public proclamation of the word and public teaching. Okay, so what am I saying here? It's a very New Testament principle based upon this. I think it's good for a church, and I'm biased because this is my calling, right? And you guys have done this with me. I think it's good for a church to have somebody that they say, you know what, we're going to take care of you financially. We want you to devote your time to studying the Bible, studying the ancient languages, going to school to learn these things, studying church history, studying pastoral counseling, studying theology, so that you can preach and teach the word to us. But it still doesn't change the fact that we need multiple elders. We need multiple pastors here. What am I saying? I'm saying that there are going to be lay elders. There are going to be people here who are, well, we have elders in, in our Lutheran churches, but here's the difference though. We don't treat them as peers of the pastor. That's the third P, by the way. Elders are pastors. Elders are plural, always in the New Testament. And then third, elders are peers of the pastor. Here's what I mean. Look at all those texts that we just read, all of these. There's no sense even in 1 Timothy 5.17, where you have some pastors preach and teach, and some, 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 some elders preach and teach, and some elders don't, you don't have a sense that what we're talking about is separate offices. Like the pastors and te- the, pa- the preaching and teaching elders, they're super spiritual. They get to wear the white alb and the green stoles, and they're, they're like the high, they're like the boss elder. And then you have minion elders underneath of them who aren't as important. You, get, you never get that sense anywhere. When Paul in the book of Acts talks to elders, when Peter in the book of Acts talks to elders, when Paul discusses elders in 1 Timothy and in Titus and in Philippians, when Peter discusses elders in 1 Timothy, he never says, I'm talking to two separate types of elders. It's always just elders. Recognizing, though, that some elders are going to, the church is going to provide for some elders to focus on studying the Bible so that they can effectively preach and teach. All I'm saying is this. I need help. I can't be an elder, the sole elder, overseer, pastor of a church, mainly because the Bible says that. I'm not Jesus. I can't do this. I need other fellow pastors. I'm not asking to call other pastors to, to be paid pastors. I'm saying I need men in this church to rise up and to share in the eldership with me, to sh- help shepherd the flock of God, which is, by the way, again, to emphasize, not being the boss I don't need a group of people to make decisions and tell people what to do. That's not the elder's job. The elder's job, go back and read First Peter 5. The elder's job is to model, to equip, 
to self-sacrifice. It's the body's job to make the decisions. Remember, not the pastors, not the voters, but the body of Christ. That's what, that's what we need here. And that's where we're headed, right? This is a little bit weird, I know, because typically in the LCMS churches, we all have elders, but like I said, the elders kind of are assistants, advisors to the pastor. And I'm saying the New Testament actually pictures it much differently. The elders are pastors. The elders are always plural and the elders are always peers. Okay, how do we get these elders? That's the second question, then we'll be done here. How are we going to get these elders? How do you find elders? Am I going to say, I choose these three people to be the elders here? No, that would be the sacerdotal model where the pastor's in charge. I can't do that. Are we going to vote on them? Uh, well, I'm not saying we aren't. I think it's appropriate for us in a congregational meeting to say, just like, just like you guys voted when you called me, I think it's appropriate to say, let's vote on these names. I think it's appropriate. But that's actually not what makes them elders, right? I mean, in, in, our, in our politics, in our civic life, voting does make. How does the president become? What is the authority of the president when he becomes president here in a few months? It's the voters, the voters vote, and that makes the president. It's not the way it works in the Christian church, though. The voters don't make the person the elder. Let me, actually, let me just show you. Let me just show you how it does work, if I can. Okay. The word, if he, can, you, can you look back at these bonus verses again? Uh, especially Acts 14.23 and Titus 1.5. You'll notice the same verb in each one. In uh, Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So elders are appointed. Titus 1.5. He said, Paul says to Titus, I want you to appoint elders in every town. What does that verb appoint mean? What does it mean to appoint? I, I know what, what it sounds like. It sounds like, you know, the pastor goes and says, you, you, and you, I make you. But actually, that's not the way it works in the New Testament. Let me give you two examples. One is from Acts chapter 6, and it's a text that we're going to look at dealing with the second New Testament office. God calls Christian churches to have two offices. One is elder, and then the second one we'll look at next week. But let me give you a little taste of the verse here. Here's what it says in Acts 6. Um, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So the appointing happens after the congregation recognizes that they're here in this case, there's seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. This is the first clue to what appoint means. It doesn't mean that we're going to appoint, you know, person A and say, we're appointing you elder, now start eldering. Now start being a pastor, now start being a shepherd. No, what it does is you find the people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And in other words, you find the people who are already eldering, and then you say, we're appointing you elder because you're already elder. Does that, do you understand the difference? The, vote, the voters don't make the person an elder. The voters recognize that Christ has already made this person an elder in the church. That's what appointing is, okay? One more example of that. Matt, this, this isn't in your bulletin either. I'm just, I'm going to read this to you. Matthew 24, 45 through 47. I, and I should have put this in the bulletin because it's a little bit, some points I want to make here that would be worthwhile you guys seeing. Matthew 24, 45 through 47. Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has appointed over his household? Who is the faithful wise servant that, that the master has in the past already appointed to give them their food at the proper time, to administer the household? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will appoint him over all his possessions. 
That's an interesting thing. He says, who's the one who has been appointed? That person is the one, verse 47, who will be appointed. Does that make sense? The one who will be appointed is the one who has been appointed. It's not our job, as it's not my job to like say, I'm going to choose these people to be elders. It's not the voter's job to say, we're going to vote you into eldership and give you the eldership power. It's the church's job, all of us together, me and you together, to recognize who has God already appointed. In other words, you look around and you find the people who are already eldering. What you don't do is take somebody who's not interested in smelling like the sheep. Somebody who's not interested in with humility and self-sacrifice, equipping the flock of God and saying, hey, can you start having humility and self-sacrifice? Can you start like caring for this flock? You don't do that. You find the people who already are and guarantee there are already people in the church who are. And the congregation says, yes, that's the elder. Okay, that's kind of vague. What I'm telling you is you find people who are already eldering. What does that look like specifically? Thankfully, Paul has twice given us a list of the attributes of an elder. And that's actually in our epistle reading. If you can look there with me, 1 Timothy 3. He says, there's three categories here I want to point out. Here's what elders should look like and elders should be. Paul says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, I know he doesn't say elder here. He uses overseer. But remember, overseer is his second favorite word for this office. He calls them elder most of the time. He calls them overseer some of the time. He calls them pastor only once, hardly any of the time, but it's the same office. Here's what they need to do. Uh, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, now listen, this is going to be language. The first category here is filled with, the, filled with the Holy Spirit, exhibiting the gifts of the Spirit. So you have language like um, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sexually faithful to one woman, sober-minded, Self-control, that would be worthwhile going and unpacking each one of these words, but we don't have time yet. It sounds like a Bible study thing to do, right? Self-controlled, that's actually a gift of the Spirit. Somebody who can control themselves, not act out against their own will. Respectable, hospitable, somebody who cares about giving themselves to other people. There's, there's, now listen, there are lots of Christians who don't exercise these qualities, and it does not mean that they're not a Christian. It, doesn't, it does not mean that they're not seeing victory from God in certain parts of their life. But an elder has to be self-giving, has to be hospitable. Uh, not a drunkard, uh, verse line of verse 3. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. An elder can't be somebody who likes to fight and likes to have arguments. An elder can't be somebody who's like, I'm right, and I'm going to make you know that I'm right, or I'm going to get upset. An elder can't be like that, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit. So look around for these types of people. This is the first, I'm going to give you three categories underneath this one. Criteria here for elder. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Second thing is, is a good servant leader. Somebody who thinks of leadership, not in terms of like bossing people around and telling people what to do, but thinks of leadership in terms of whatever you guys need, I'll do it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to do whatever you guys need. You get a good example of this here with the not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. So not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Not somebody who thinks of leadership in terms of, I tell people what to do, and when they disagree with me, I tell them why they're wrong. Not somebody who thinks of leadership in terms of like, okay, I can get power and money for this, right? I'm not, this is, this is a way I'm going to make money. This is the way the world thinks of leadership, but this is not the way your elders should be. He must manage, verse uh, four, he must manage his own household well. So manage, somebody who's able to manage a household, what does that mean? What does that look like? 
managing a household. Those of you who are parents, you know what this means. This doesn't mean bossing people around and everybody obeys you, right? Anybody who has kids knows that that's not what managing a household is. Managing a household is you go to work and you go to work to make money. Yeah, but not the way that you went to work, not, not the way that you went to work to make money before you had kids in a family. You go to work to make money to care for these other people. You get up in the morning and you make breakfast so that people will obey you. No, because your life belongs to these people now, right? And, and you know what this is like? When you, when you are a parent, you lose your life. I mean, you get a better life back, but all the things that you did before, you know, like the, 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 my time is no longer my own. My money's not my own. My money goes to the orthodontist and to the schools and to college funds and to buy shoes for people who are going to grow out of them in four months. This is, what my, this is what my life is as a parent. That's what managing is. It's not like bossing my kids around and they do it. It's about like overseeing and taking care of other people who need to be taken care of. Your elders need to be people to do this. Frequently, churches put people in leadership positions who are successful at business and who have like all kinds of dynamic authority. That's actually not the, that's not, that's not what makes a good manager. Not necessarily. There are people who like successful in business have authority who make great elders, okay? I'm not saying, but not necessarily. There are also people who are successful in business and make money and are good managers because they know how to squash opposition. That's not what we want. We want the people who are successful and good managers because they self-sacrifice. If someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? This does not mean that your kids always have to be, this does not mean that your kids all turn out like to spec according to our culture standards. This means somebody who cares for and self-sacrifices. So manages, now this, this is all, listen, this second criteria here, this uh, must be a servant leader, must manage from a position of servant leadership. This is so gospel-based, isn't it? This is who Jesus is. Does Jesus rule by becoming the great and mighty dictator? By strolling into Rome and saying, Caesar, you're done. My army of angels and human soldiers is here to wipe you out. And what does he do? He gives his life as a ransom for many. That's what gospel-oriented servant leadership looks like. And that's what elders should look like. Not somebody who's interested in power, but somebody who's interested in service. Okay, this is what, this is what cross, this is as close as this is going to get to a Christian sermon here, is that this is what Christian leadership should look like. It should look like Jesus. It should look like the power of the cross. The power of the elder is the power of the cross. It's the same thing as the power of your parenting, or the power of you being a neighbor, or the power of you being a spouse or a friend. It's the power of the cross, the power of self-sacrifice. Here's the third thing. Uh, able to teach. Last line of verse two, able to teach, right? This, this is actually, this is, not everybody can teach. It doesn't mean that people are bad. Not everybody has the ability to get up in front of people or to lead a group of, you know, even a small Bible study, three or four people and say, let me teach and talk to you about what God's word says, what God's heart is for his world and that sort of thing. Some people just aren't comfortable with that because they're not gifted. It doesn't mean that they're somehow less. Remember, elder does not mean important. Pastor does not mean important. Elder and pastor actually means at the foot of the cross. Elder and pastor means less than important. Whoever is going to serve amongst you, Jesus says, will be the least of all. Right? This is not, this is not well, able to teach. I'm able to teach up here. That makes me the most important of you guys. No, it makes me the biggest slave in the room. That's what it means, right? So I'm not talking about like, this is not criteria for like advancement. This is criteria for, what's the opposite of advancement? De-advancement? De I don't even know. I'm sure there's a word for it. This is criteria for servanthood, this ability to teach. 
So what you're looking for is somebody who fills these three categories, all right? Somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the gifts of the Spirit, somebody who servant leads, who doesn't want to be the boss, but wants to do, wants to serve, wants to be the one who carries the burdens of everybody else. And then somebody who's able to talk about it. Artic it doesn't necessarily have to be up here. It doesn't necessarily have to be in front of a big group, but somebody who's able to articulate and teach the gospel. These three things, okay. Bottom line, the body of Christ appoints from amongst yourselves those whom Jesus has already appointed. We're going to look around and we're going to look for men whom God has given these three criteria to. And we're going to say, we believe as a church, and a congregational meeting is a fine way to have a vote on that, to put a stamp on it. But before you get there, you actually have to have been involved in community to find these people. Right? And these people, these men are going to be co-elders with me. Right. Equal in authority to me. Now, I know some of you are going to say, I, don't, I just have a hard time. I'm so used to like the pastor having the special authority. I'm going to have a hard time with thinking about somebody who's not wearing an alb having equal authority. And let me just say that maybe the reason why you think that is because there is a little bit of a difference practically. The people, and whether it's me, I, I'm going to do the most of the teaching around here and basically all of the preaching. Some of the elders will be in front of you a lot teaching. Bible studies, those elders who preach and teach a lot end up getting more authority, and it's not theirs. It's not my authority. It's actually the authority of handling the Word of God. So I start to smell the authority of the Bible. It's not actually my authority. It's the authority that comes from the Bible, but it's not my authority. My authority actually will be no different than the elders. I will be a co-servant with them. That's the plan. That's the way the New Testament imagines it, Okay. Let me give you, I'm at 30 seconds and we're done. Let me give you two things here I want you to remember. First of all, focus on the criteria from 1 Timothy and focus on community. The only way you can see the criteria in action is if you're involved communally with other people's lives. You can't show up just on Sundays and see people self-sacrificing. You can't show up just on Sundays and see people um, teaching. You can't show up just on Sundays and see people uh, managing their own household well. You have to be involved with people's lives. So start having relationships with people. Start going to the community groups. Start going to small Bible studies. Start inviting people over for dinner if you can't do those things. Start getting involved in people's lives so that you can see that this is happening. Okay, we're done. Next week, we're going to talk about the second office. There's two offices in the New Testament that the Christian church has to have. One is elder, and then the other one we'll talk about next week, okay? All right. Let's actually, let's pray. Uh, stand with me, and then we'll pray, and we'll have communion. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd be with St. James Lutheran Church and that you would uh, lead us and guide us. I, I don't, everybody here who knows me knows this. Like, I'm just going to mess things up if I try to be in charge here, um, especially if I try to be the big boss. But even if I try to be the servant of all, there's just some, so many things I'm not equipped to do, and so many things I'm going to botch up if I'm going to uh, undertake it. Uh, raise up uh, godly men who can be co-elders, co-pastors, co-overseers here, and empower them with your Holy Spirit to love your church more than themselves, to give a heart to oversee and to lovingly equip and teach and model and self-sacrifice in your name. And help, us, help all of us, Father, to see, to look around and recognize whom you've appointed to these tasks and to be willing to step up and say, this person is leading, this person's eldering, this person's serving. 
and to raise people up from amongst us this way as your body. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray that you would be with uh, uh, the, the people who are hurting and struggling. And every week I pray this, and I, and I come in with a couple of people to, to specifically pray for. And I always think, there's probably more, but I don't know what they are. And that's actually true. I don't know what people are struggling with, the family issues that people have, or the financial issues, or the mental health issues, or physical health issues people have. And, but you know, Father, and whatever they are, even if they aren't shared out loud, Father, look into the hearts of everybody who's here and see and bind yourself to their deepest woe, to their deepest worries and anxieties, to their deepest and darkest sadnesses. Bind yourself to those and heal them, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I do want to pray, especially this morning, that you would be with a couple of people. Well, a couple of groups. One is Scott, who had a brain surgery last week, which went well. Uh, but had some uh, residual bleeding, which was causing some uh, really, really bad pressure. And Father, I thank you for uh, uh, the test, which show he doesn't need to have surgery, but I pray that you would allow that bleeding to stop and not come back and that the pressure, the medicine would work and that the pressure would uh, go away and that he would heal uh, quickly and consistently. I also pray that you would bless uh, the family of Joyce who passed away this week, and that you would give that family comfort and hope. And it's just been a rough year with uh, Bob passing away in January and now Joyce. Uh, but give them all hope in your gospel, specifically hope in the resurrection of your son Jesus, which guarantees that Bob and Joyce will rise together to new life, whole life, perfected life on the last day. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we're so grateful that we are allowed to come, that we are encouraged, not just allowed, that's too weak of a word, that we're encouraged and invited, warmly invited to come into your throne room and talk to you as our Father. And we thank you for binding us to your Son, Jesus, who allows us to come in here and talk to you. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. Let's all confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. My 